Maybe today's the day I break 80 Want the ball to draw, but it keeps on fading No OB and no bogeys I gotta keep it on the 80, it's the gold Would you hit it on one? Straight up the gut, baby Now I got a wedge on my short game cravings Little bit of edge on the sport makes gravy So punch out the rough and tune to break 80 Break 80 This is episode 24 of the Break 80 Podcast. Dowd's here, joined by my co-host, Mike. And perhaps we might get a pop-in by Tim. I think he's a little MIA right now. But we are <laughs> on the eve of our trip out west. Um, we're going to be playing a new course out in Nebraska called Landman, which uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the pod. But before we get to that, Mike, i got to say that I added to my caddying resume today. I got my first win on the bag as my Twin Cities golf uh, match play partner, Eric, took home the uh, Monticello Club Championship this evening. That's two wins for us, quote-unquote us, this week. Um, I'm wondering uh, if my week can get any better. Can it get better as we, as we get re- – actually, it's a new week, I guess, starting on. But can, my, can this next week get better with our, with our trip out west? Probably. I think we're going to have a good time. Meanwhile, our squad, Tim and I, we were just playing each other. We're <laughs> <laughs> We're just battling it out against somebody each other. Wins. Against each other. You guys had all this team camaraderie, you know, you're caddying for them. You know, we're just playing each other. Um that's fine. Should be fun. I don't know. I'm excited for I'm excited for for some cooler air. It was hot as hell out there. And actually like green speeds. Um, because they they're they're in the summer and they kind of keep them shaggy and slow. And yeah, it was a good to put on. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I saw I saw yeah. you won. I, yeah. Eric's, Eric's a good stick. I mean, shit, he made four birdies from the like the tips at TPC that so, day. So here's here's what we got to discuss. I mean, he just won a club championship. He isn't, and this is no joke because I play with him a lot. He's officially an eight point two handicap, and he won a club championship somehow. What are the Vegas odds of that? I would say majority of the guys that play in this, I think there's like almost thirty that play in the upper echelon, the the champ flight thing. I bet most are like somewhere between two and a six. And he comes out and wins it as an eight. I think there's a lot of handicap manipulation from your guys' team. I don't think so. Yeah, you know, Jeff's got we're play Jeff's Jeff's got oh <laughs> woe is me. I'm you know, four or five. I'm just done being technical, blah blah blah. And then we're shooting like 73s and you know, there's less a lot of manipulation out there. Uh, no, but I I can see him. I mean, get, get, what what was it, 36 holer? So it's 36 holes. Um, I think he went 73, 74, and then the top eight play another nine in front of everybody. Um, oh. And then so you got to actually, you know, it's a cumulative onto that extra nine as well. So it all, in theory, it comes down to what is that, 54 holes? Yep. No. So, 36 plus nine is 45 holes. Oh, duh. Not another 18. Yeah, only nine. So 45 holes. So 45 hole total, and, and uh, I think he won by three, which. Again, yeah. you get a guy locked in. It was just fun to see. So, anyways, well, I, and and my impression, I've only golfed with them one time. My impression was uh, that you know, there's two ki- there's two types of kind of handicap people. There's your steady, make a lot of bogeys, eight handicap, and then there's probably a guy who makes a few big numbers possibly here and there, but is probably better than an eight, which is where I would put him at because he hits it too good. Probably he just probably has a few big numbers here and there, which a lot of golfers do. Yeah, and I think. 
playing. I mean, he's always had a good swing. I mean, I think playing within his swing is part of it. And I'm not sure. I mean, he, he just kind of went three quarter to three quarter and the ball came off the same way every time instead of trying to really go get it. You know what I mean? Swinging super hard and swinging out of his shoes. Anyways, we'll save that for another time. Let's talk about our agenda. Um, Mike and Tim just got back from Arizona. So we're here a little bit about that trip. We're going to recap the USAM as well as the BMW Championship. The President's Cup teams have got their centerpieces set. We'll talk a little bit about the rosters. And then we've got this trip that we're going to be taking uh, tomorrow. So if you hear this, maybe the day of. I mean, this is a, a Sunday night, but we'll be leaving Monday out there. We'll talk about that. And then we wrap this up with an interview from Rob Collins, who is part of the King Collins uh, course design. Um Mike and Tim interviewed him, so I'm excited to, to hear that. Um, Mike can kind of talk about that interview at the very end, um, and then we'll we'll be done. So let's start with your uh, your trip out. Um, actually, has trip down south to the Arizona Heat. Um, I know that we talked a lot last week about courses you're going to come up play and things like that. What was your takeaways uh, of the course? How'd you play? What were the course conditions like? Give it to uh. us. Well, it was hot as fuck. That was my takeaway. <laughs> I could, you know, go. man, it was hot. Um, we, uh, well, here's here's how it started. We 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 left the Twin Cities on Wednesday uh, at I don't know, like nine thirty or something. We had a one o'clock tea time at Mirabelle, and Mirabelle is like one of the more exclusive country clubs out there. It's got two hundred and seventy five members. Uh, and all these houses around it are like two, three million dollars. And it's a, it's a it was a pretty good get that our buddy hooked us up with uh, and played with us. But we get to the airport and we can't find the we can't find the uh, the vehicle that Tim rented. He he rented something uh, on like a Tahoe uh, and he's he's messaging this guy because it was on like Turo. You know, it's kind of like an Airbnb for like. Rent oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He they, yeah. they bring it to you and they get out and somebody else. Yeah, play. yeah, yeah. Well, I've they, had they, that before. They leave it somewhere with a key, like in a lockbox thing. Yeah. And, and um, so he's messaging, well, it's over here in this parking area by the street. So we're looking at this at this other Tahoe and the doors aren't aren't opening. <laughs> and we're like, what is going on? We're walking around the whole damn parking lot forever. Finally, Tim realizes that he signed up for a Tahoe at the Mesa airport in Phoenix, not the Sky Harbor <laughs> we flew into, which is like 30 minutes away. So now we got to get a, a cab. We got to load all of our golf clubs and shit into a cab. It was like a $90 cab ride to the Mesa airport. Classic. And the Tahoe, of course, is sitting right out where it's supposed to be. Um, and then we had to get from Mesa, which is like east, like southeast. Uh, and we had to get all the way back up to the golf course. So it's like an hour and a half detour. We rolled in with just enough time to hit like a few range balls and play. But I mean, it ended up not being that big of a deal because that place was a ghost town right now. Ghost town. Yeah, I mean, er, you I'm know, sure. these, this, the, all of these people living out there on Mirabelle, um, you know, are I'm sure multimillionaires, all the houses around there are like $2 million. They're super nice, but they're all sitting empty because they leave somewhere, you know, they're all snowbirds. So there's nobody out there. You know, it's just us basically playing the golfers. A few people randomly, you know, we let through like a single here or there, but um. Mirabelle is great. It's Tom Fazio, they play that huge college tournament there. I think it's called the Maui yeah. Gym or something. It's a really big one. All the I looked at the list of teams coming up this fall. Every good college team is playing uh, in that one. All the top teams. But yeah, that was it. Was a great track. The one thing. The one thing there is they really are babying um, 
the greens and stuff. So the greens were pretty slow. The speeds were slow, which was gave me just fits. I was I put it awful, just atrociously. Um, but yeah, and then it's been monsoon season too, so it's been super wet out there. But yeah, we played Mirabel Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning, as a lot of you probably saw on my Instagram. We played Mountain Shadows, which is awesome. It's, it's a par three course, but it's the shit. It's the vibe. It's at like a hotel. It's at a hotel. It's at like a fancy. Um, it's a pretty fancy, swanky part of town. It's like Paradise Valley. It's where a lot of the like pro athletes and stuff live. And it's like a, you know, it's got the big mountain. It's got like Camelback Mountain right in the backdrop. Um, and there's this par three course, kind of set up in this like little housing area, that that is sweet. They uh. They do a Tuesday league out there, a skins game for like really good players, like a bunch of scratch players and stuff and better than scratch. It's like 40 bucks. Like Joel Damon goes, the guy working with his max homeless comes once in a while and just plays with the every everyday folks in the skins game at a par three course. Um, okay. what, sweet. what is the, um, do they have, do you, do you need like your four iron all the way through your 60? I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, like the longest one you could have and the shortest one you could have. It was, um, we had a few pins that were 200 yards roughly okay. and then all the way down to like some little 80, 90 yarders. So it's just a huge variety of, and then everything in between. So it's a, like a legit, legit, you're hitting all your irons okay. in the bag, but it had a sweet setting. Um, the vibe out there was awesome. They had like, I posted a few pictures, like a kind of a retro, like 50s, 60s kind of vibe in the pro shop and the, everything. They had an old like three wheel car cart in there. Uh, really, really cool place. They let us ride a four seater, so we just drove around in a four seater, us us three cruising around. Wait, wait, hold on. You said the vibes are hot. I I, I could have swore when I was looking at your Instagram at some point. And by the way, another person has texted me this. Were you guys listening to Savage Garden in your in your? It's, uh, it's possible. Tim Tim's uh, you know, uh, I couldn't read the music. I mean, Tim, what is Tim it? is uh. Tim puts on like the, the like the early 2000s. I don't know. I had to I had to emphatically tell him to turn the Creed off when Creed came out. <laughs> I, so I, I absolutely re I refused to listen to Creed or Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because he has he had his phone like in his back pocket because I was I was recording everything on my phone um, for that match. But yeah, so they vibe the vibes kind of like a it's like a retro kind of look to everything. Um, super laid back. I mean, it's like. You're paying like I think we paid. Well, for out there it actually wasn't that bad. I think we had a cart, but they had yardage books for a par three course. So we bought a yardage book, and it was like sixty bucks for all that. So it wasn't okay. like crazy expensive. I don't know what I'm sure in the winter it goes up, but the hotel is like four hundred bucks a night or something. Somebody said. So, um, yeah, that place was awesome. Then on Wednesday we loaded up right into the car and drove like no Thursday. I mean this was then we drove like an hour. I don't know, hour and 15 minutes up to Wickenburg to play Wickenburg Ranch. Um, and by that time, it was so hot. Um, oh, my God. And it's like, what is your tea? Is this like a is this like a three o'clock tea time? Like, are we are we getting no, to work? are we, you guys playing like at one in the afternoon? It was like, like a one or one thirty ish. Like, because oh, you go because, you know, again, even Mountain Shadows, the part three, course, everything is so dead out there. There's nobody around, you know, because it's it's a city of snowbirds and they're not there so we cruised around at mountain shadows in like two hours maybe you know 18 holes in like two hours so we buzzed up to wickenburg and uh wickenburg's pretty is a top hunter that's the one tim wanted to play for the, his top hundred public list it's going private in the spring i think 
the guy in the clubhouse told me it was going uh private or semi kind of a semi-private deal but uh it was so hot jeff i was i was dying out there it was man it's hot you had, it was you had like, a new, unique setup you had like the uh the old towel on your head did you have a hat over the towel or just no the towel? zach zach played a hole with a hat over his towel i just draped i just kept soaking a towel in water and just draping it over my head and chipping and putting with a towel on my head because it was so gross and just sweaty and hot and we were drinking booze and water and it and it, it was just disgusting did it but take then, away did it take away from your golf experience because it was too hot i mean do you think it's like was it mm, to the point where that's the only thing you could think of is oh it's so hot and then you kind of like didn't get a chance to enjoy the golf or was it yeah maybe you know I, I, mean? I, I played so shitty to start i started I was like terrible at the beginning of the round but wickenburg was a good core i mean it, it was kind of boring at the beginning and then it got pretty good in the middle but i left there talking like chris the tenderman guy that used to work here that we were out there with i left him and i were saying i i like like stone ridge here better than wickenburg ranch and wickenburg ranch is on this top 100 public list i think stone ridge is better golf course it, to me uh more fun to play yeah. but um yeah i don't know god it was hot but then what happens is like Every every day in those afternoon rounds right now in their monsoon season, the first like the first nine to twelve holes till about three four o'clock uh, are hotter than hell. But then the with the, the atmosphere over the kind of the storm clouds build over the mountains yeah. every day, and so every day we were there it just downpoured around us or on us in the afternoon. Like a Wickenburg Thursday, we missed it, but you could see it off in the distance just pouring. Yeah. Um, but that cools everything down a little bit, but, um, yeah, so that was, we, we played Wickenburg, Tim had to, had to buy a bag tag. It's like the size of, it's just humongous. It's so, it's so gross. They, it was, it's like, it is literally like, I don't even know. It's like, you know, those like cowboy giant belt buckles that are just huge. Yeah. It's like that size bag tag. It's, it's just so obscene. I knew he was going to buy it. The moment I saw it, I was like, I know he's buying this one. Um, yeah, and then uh, let's see. Friday, Friday we played. Uh, oh, Desert Mountain, Desert Mountain in um, way up on the hill. And Desert Mountain sits up pretty high, like thirty five hundred feet up. You know, so it's way higher altitude than the other ones. But uh, a buddy of mine's assistant pro there, and he got us out. And they have a new par three course that's awesome. And uh, we played there in the morning. It's called Desert Mountain Seven, and it has just a sick bar. And um, all that stuff to it, and and they have like bocce ball and all this crap out there. But they had legit like holes too, you know, up to like two hundred like twenty five yards down to like they had multiple tee boxes, like one, two, three, four, and you could play. So you could play any hole from one fifty to one day, and you could go and play seventy five the next. And then they had a they had a scorecard, and they had like a special scorecard where you tracked like proximity to the hole and all this, and it gave you like really, it gave you like PGA Tour percentages and like a five handicap or better should hit this. You know, it was kind of cool. That was like a challenge. Of course, I screwed up the scorecard and put it on the wrong nine. We started on the back. So mine was all effed up, but uh, yeah, that was, and then we played the big course, desert mountain Cochise, but then we only got nine holes in there and it just downpoured. The course was just underwater. Um, Cause it doesn't really handle water well up there, but we, we played, it was, we played with uh, my buddy who's just in pro. And I can't believe, I cannot believe Tim, didn't come on tonight because he was calling himself a generational ball striker. <laughs> like, like he shot 81 at Wickenburg Ranch the day before. His generational ball striker, and, um, and every time he hit, too. every time he hit a bad one, 
my buddy Matheson probably like generational ball striker. He was, you know, giving him shit. Um, but that was good. You know, Desert Mountain's a little bit more unique because you're up on kind of the mountain side. And they have that place is crazy. They have like seven courses and they have like like yeah. I don't know, two thousand members because they have so many courses, you know, and stuff. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Of- is that two thousand members to the seven courses? Like they can like if you're a member of mall, of one, you're a member of mall. Yep, you can play them all. Oh, okay. Heck yes. Yeah. Well, that one. That, what would the t- price of that be? Oh, um, geez. I don't know exactly. I have to look it up again. We were looking at it. Tim and I were looking at it, but that one's been around for a while. You know, like Mirabelle, I think is about twenty years old. Desert Mountain's older. Um, okay. they're all Nicholas courses. They're all Jack Nicholas courses. Um, that one I think initiation. Who knows? A hundred grand probably, and then. You got to pay all year, you know, and it's like we went in, oh, we had lunch there. So we go into this, they have this huge locker room and a bunch of like showers, like individual showers and whatever. And then you go right into this men's lounge, which is like a restaurant, but only on the men's locker room side, like a, not the normal restaurant. There's a big normal restaurant, but they have this like men's lounge with a bunch of TVs on and a full bar and restaurant and just the guys in there, you know, whatever. I'm like, this would be awesome in the fall. Like football's on, come on and play in the morning yeah. and then sit in here and watch football. Uh, but Desert Mountain's a pretty, you know, swanky setup too. Uh, but yeah, and we didn't get a play in the afternoon. But we did, we we didn't, you know, the, the funny thing is we didn't really go out late at night because you're so freaking tired. You yeah. Know, it's just heat. it's just gross heat. And thankfully, uh, we stayed with our friend Zach at our friend Zach's aunt's place. They're not there now and they have a pool. They live on a golf course. They live on a golf course. So um, we could just like hop in the pool and just cool off. It's kind of fun getting up in the morning and drinking coffee and and sitting in the pool and watch people play golf on hole one at Los Endes. (laughs) So it's kind of funny. Um, But yeah, we did go to the most, I posted it on Instagram, the most bizarre damn place I have ever seen. The Oregon Stop Pizza and Bar whatever restaurant. I don't even know. It's like, Zach had been there once before. He's like, you guys got to see this. And we go in there and there's music and lights. And it's a giant like organ thing with like a thousand buttons and every instrument you can think of. And the guy is taking like requests. There's like hardly anybody in there. The guy's taking requests for songs and he must put them on his like phone and he can play them all. He knows how to play this damn organ with like a, who knows, like a thousand buttons on it. And, and yeah. And they're playing, they're playing Star Wars. And then he's playing something, and then some kid was in there requested Frozen. So that's okay. So Emma could have been there and sang. Oh, them. that's why they, they okay. had let, they had let it go on. He's he's playing Let It Go. Then they got bubbles coming from the ceiling and a disco. <laughs> all, all while we're sitting there just trying to eat pizza and drink a pitcher of beer, and like it's the most bizarre like damn right place. Down Tim's alley. Super super unique. Uh, the Oregon stop, but yeah. But then we played um, Papago on uh saturday morning before we flew out and tim and i okay so so tim and i had the match at mountain shadows i won that one of course he'll say if i would he didn't have a slow start i would have beat him or he would have beat me but you know i won that one um then we tied in darts we went and played we went to some bar uh after wickenburg ranch some brewery and uh something front porch brewery and played darts because they had actual like steel metal darts tip darts we have two we, we had a draw there um so we tied there and then he wanted to play at papago for for airline drinks i was like yes of course i'm playing yes 100 i'm gonna beat you and uh papago right now is just ripped up 
torn to shreds. Like they're redoing. It'll be it's a nice it'll be a nice track when they're done. But it's like I'm pretty sure our if going off the actual scorecard, everybody birdied all the par fives because they're like 267 oh, yards. <laughs> so, so. so one of them is like the scorecard says like 522 but they have like all the teeing grounds and everything just ripped up so you're teeing up in this front like tee box it was like 267 par 5 what do they make you pay at that i mean with, with, it was with, like 50 bucks really you know with it was that, huh? it was well yeah you know golf out there isn't necessarily cheap i think that course like where we played with a local guy and he said in the summer it's like one almost 150 oh really yeah I, but i mean it, it's I don't I wouldn't probably pay one fifty. It's not that nice, but it's kind of cool. That's where Arizona State has their has their practice facility. Yeah. Um, they got the sciences that Phil Mickelson founded. You know, I was gonna add, you know, and Saudi Arabia funded practice area. <laughs> Sketch um, it in with the marker. But we play we but but anyway, we get we so we play this match play match, and we're uh, the first two holes. We literally have just started the first two holes. Tim made me putt like barely past the grip putts, like three and a half footers. Barely, it was like was under four feet. I made them both, so we're all square. And then I got two up, um, through like I don't even know nine or ten. I can't remember what it was. And then I and then I lost the hole. And I then they had one par three at like sixty five yards, and I chunked a wedge in the water and lost that one. There's water in front, so then we're now we're all square. And Tim is just talking shit. I said, "All right, now I suppose I could try." And uh, <laughs> then I then I then I won the next two, so I'm two up. But we get to like we get to 16, and I'm two up with three to play, and I hit one right into the right rough, and and I know you know it's on the same line as Zach's ball, and Zach's was in like this dirt area that they're working on, and I know you know I hit it farther than Zach's, so I know I'm in the rough somewhere, and Tim hits this gross like snap hook thing, damn near off the property. And behind some tree, you know, but it's in play. Hits a punch shot up of the green. He made bogey. Of course, we couldn't even find my ball. We looked forever. Couldn't find <laughs> it. So I, had to, I had to concede the hole, which would have been like a sand wedge to the green, two-putt win, the match is over. So I had to concede the hole because I couldn't find the ball. And then, of course, then the next, the very next tee is like, is like 220 yards. It's like legit par three that the normal tee box back. And Tim like chunked an iron and it hit a, it hit like a bunch of the construction like area and it bounced off the rocks, like 80 yards forward. And at the time I'm just sitting there shaking my head, kind of laughing like, Oh my God, what is this bullshit? Cause I had, uh, then I fanned one, right. Of course. And then Tim had a really good shot though. I'll give him credit. You know, it's not like, it's not like it was like pure luck. He had a really good next shot, like two feet. And of course I didn't get up and down. So now we're all square going to 18 and 18 is of course a, Normally a par five or par four, but today it's playing as 95 yard temporary <laughs> green par three. <laughs> and uh, I hit a wedge to like five feet. So that was an automatic three where you could try to make a two, you know, it's two, but yeah. Tim was short. He, he chipped it past the hole. I tried to putt on the scruffy like stuff, missed it. And then he putted with his wedge and of course made it to tie. <laughs> so he was, he was having, he was having a blast. He was like, he was like talking about how it was a win. Is I said, well, it was a tie. It wasn't a win, but so anyway, I was like, and I don't really care. I can care. Well, you just gotta care. look at it. You just tied a generational ball striker. I mean, that's, yeah, that's true. That, that that's says true. something just, about your game. I just tied Mo Norman in his generational <laughs> ball striking. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, the funny thing is, I. I put a I, one of the holes was a par three. It was like two fifty. I I had tried it three when I was into the wind limit. I think, and he had driver barely pin high. I said generational ball striker. Um, but 
Yeah, so he was having a good time with that. So I said, well, okay, perfect. Let's give the people what they want. We're going to your course now. You know, you're probably listening to this today. We're going to be there tonight, Grand Falls Casino. He's played there multiple times. Let's play for some money, like 20 bucks a hole or something. Give the people what they want, something. Uh, uh, and it's a home field advantage. Tim's played it multiple times. I have never seen a single centimeter of that golf course, but I know this. It's a real golf course. It's got real length. It's got real everything. It's not a par three course or a, a ripped up modified course. So we'll see. Tim, I'm guessing he'll probably duck it. Maybe not. We'll see. Well, uh, maybe, maybe we'll end up playing for just some beer. I know you're going to play him too. So we're going to have a lot. We're going to have a lot of stuff going on on, on Monday a lot night. Of playing and playing and playing and playing. And not to mention, we're staying at the casino, so there could be some more. Oh yeah, more things going on after after the golf, but. Well, it sounds like you guys had a good time. Uh, if anybody is planning on going to Arizona at any point, maybe you know, a lot of people take trips out in the winter at some point or spring, hit these guys up. They've got, you know, they played places, but they also heard a lot from people to, you know, play this, play that. So, yeah, if you want to get a hold of Mike or Tim, they definitely can can uh, help you out yeah, there. Yeah, hit us up. I know, you know, some of them are private and the ones going private, but like for sure play Mountain Shadows. It was fun as hell. Okay. Well, let's get to the the USAM recap. I'm I'm gonna go that first, and then we'll get to the BMW. Uh, it was at Ridgewood Country Club, I think, in New Jersey. hosted hosted it. Uh, Sam Bennett, I think, from Texas A and M. Is that where he, he plays at? I think so, right? Yeah, he's like Texas the, A&M. He's, he's got he's like the third ranked amateur in the world or something. Okay. So he's got a high world. He's got a high world ranking. Yeah, he he uh, hung on to to win one up. I think he played an entire 36 holes, which is impressive. That's a grueling day. Um, he beat Georgia Southern's Ben Carr. Um, we also should point out that Minnesota's own Derek Kitchener did make the final four as well, but your thoughts on the tournament. I know I, you know, I liked watching that. I know we had, you know, the PGA tour has their tour championship season going on, but I would much rather have watched that than the BMW, to be honest. Oh yeah. I, I, I hardly watched any BMW. It was way better watching the AM today. Um, cause not only was it, uh, match play, which is more fun to watch the golf course was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty nice and demand and demanding. They had um the rough up like a U.S. Open. They had the greens rolling. Everything was firm. I know they were. I know I read an article about you know there were a ton of upsets. Like all kinds of guys, high rank guys got beat by lower rank guys, including professional amateur Stuart Hegstead. He was in there. <laughs> exactly. um, but uh, and they were they were saying maybe it's attributing to the fact that it's it was super difficult. Uh, and you had to really keep it in the fairways and whatever. And, and it wasn't just like you, the guy who could bomb it out there could win. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Good match. They uh, kind of bizarre how it ended. You were probably out at Monticello, weren't you? I saw, I didn't, I saw some highlights. I know they came down to, I think he was one up going into 18, correct? Yeah. Bennett was. Oh yeah. Uh, car, car made two, two birdies, I think in the last three holes. Did he not? Yeah. He won two of the last four to get back in it, but he was. I think Bennett was like four or five up at one point early and then car started making some putts, but on hole 13 or 14, it's a par five. Uh, Bennett hits first, hits it in OB, goes OB with a three wood. And then, you know, it's and then he reloads and hits his provisional um, OB. He's, he's three up at the time, three up. And, they came and like, and then the uh, car hit hybrid or threw it out of bounds also. And, and everybody was, and everybody was like, the TV guys were like, did he not know that he's OB? Like, why is he not laying up? Just hitting the fairway, hit it on the green and you're going to win this hole. You can go wedge wedge. 
wedge, wedge, wedge if you wanted to, and you win this hole. And apparently the rules guy, they had the rules guy on TV said he, they told him he knew that his ball was out, that his opponent's ball was out of bounds and he still hit it. Wow. And then they ended up both bogeying and tying the hole. So wait a yeah. second. So he, he went OB, but I think he said his next one went OB too. Just one ball. No. Went. So the first Bennett went OB. Then yeah. hit a provisional up by the green, you know, whatever. Got it. Okay. And then Carr hits OB too. Instead Got of like it. laying, instead of laying up, he went for it, and hit it OB, and they both bogeyed. So that was a big Got mistake. It. And then, but he got back in it. Yeah. And then on eighteen, um, Bennett had a good shot, and then a good tee shot, good shot, and two putt to win. So the Sam Bennett, I mean, he's getting a lot of, lot of, um, I don't know. Views on 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 the social media is because he's got this club twirl going on. Yeah, epic club twirl. You know he's he's doing this club club twirling stuff, and we talked about it last week. You know, douchebag or not douchebag move. No, I think it depends on how you're doing it. Now, here's what I noticed: what they don't talk about, and some people actually have started to talk about, is he takes like 42 waggles before he actually swings the club. Yeah, extremely extremely slow over the ball. Slow. You can't yeah. be a, a club twirler if it takes you 42 yeah. waggles to pull the trigger. He doesn't do the club twirl. I watched I watched the whole like back nine today. He only did it in that one big moment on 18 and he did it again okay. on the on he did it again on the 18T when he laced one down the middle. He but it's not like he's doing it on every shot. He did it I, I think he's probably jacked up kind of doing it, but uh he seemed like a good guy. That the story the big storyline you know the both their fathers had passed yes, away within the last like couple that. years and yep. Um, so, you know, so that was, that was uh, good to see those two guys out there. They've had a few rough, a uh, rough go over here the last few years. So I thought it was intriguing. It was, it was good. It's, it's, it's match play. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's, that's the thing. Like when we compare that, like if I had two choices to watch that or the BMW, I, I couldn't do both. I would definitely watch the, watch the match play. Uh, For hundred percent. Sure. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about that BMW. Um, where they went to Delaware this week, top seventy balloted out. I don't think all seventy were there. I you know like Cam Smith wasn't there. Um, I think there's one. Del yeah, Torres got hurt. Del Torres got hurt. Um, and as he did last year, Patrick Cantley somehow finds uh, his complete game, gets hot at the right time, beats Scott Stallings by a shot. Um, takeaways from BMW. I guess I could say I barely watched it. I would rather watch USM. Like I said, and I was outside most of the weekend, so I didn't really catch a lot of it, but. Any any takeaways from the BMW? I think Cantlay should move the move the uh, Goldman Sachs logo off his hat and get Beamer get the Beamer logo up there because he owns <laughs> that tournament. Um, I don't know. I think I didn't watch a ton of it because we were in Arizona. Um, golf course looked good. I mean, it's not it's not like super easy. They didn't go crazy low. What was he fifteen no. fourteen? I think um, four, uh, fourteen won it. Yeah, there was no, and I don't, I don't think at the end there was any like super crazy rounds of like 60, like three or four, was there? No, I think if you shot like five or six under, you were definitely, you know, in any given day, that was by far the best rounds. I think today, uh, KH Lee shot six under, but you know, if you shot even three under, that was from what I'm looking at was one of the best rounds of the day. Yeah, I think it really what what what, I, what strikes me about like Cantlay winning is it just shows you how really big and important the majors are because Cantlay is never usually around in the majors, and this is a big event though. This is like not some little event, and he he's won two years in a row, but yet he can't pull it together at a major. I don't know. Maybe one day will. It's too talented not to. You wouldn't think. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's. You know, some people just start playing better in the late summer and the fall. I mean, seasonally, some people are better in the spring. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to explain it, but he definitely finds his, his swagger at the end of the year. 
also there's not only you know he wins a lot of money but it also gives you standing standings and status going into next week yeah which is the tour championship at east lake and now um talk a little bit about how adam scott got in was he the 30th yeah well i think or maybe he got maybe he got within like 29 but he he had a half a million dollar bunker shot so he (laughs) was on on 18 it was a back right pin he was in like the front left bunker but so it was long it was like a 30 or 40 yard you know one of those one of those shots is really difficult for almost all amateurs and you know and even a lot of really good amateurs you know it wasn't just like a hit it out and flop it on right next to the pin it was like a long one and he needed to get up and down to secure it to get in if he didn't he's out and he hit it like two feet and made the putt and so it was a five hundred thousand dollar up and down because everybody that plays next week's guaranteed half a million dollars so that was pretty sick that, I, you know, I like it i like adam scott i know we give him a hard time but i was dressing it's horrible yeah, but he seems like a classy dude, and uh, you know, he's a good player. Yeah. So that so now the the top thirty move on, and like, I've got to ask your thoughts on this. So so next week at East Lake, they start at a certain score. I think somebody starts at like I don't even know what is it ten yeah, under, something like that, all the way down to even. It's like, it's I don't know. They call it handicap scoring. And I absolutely hate it. You know, I know, I know they have to. They work and earn their their points and their, you know, spots, but it's like starting a tournament 10 shots ahead of somebody else just seems bizarre and stupid. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else they could do. Like maybe, um, you know, give extra money to the spots that you're ending at, but to start a tournament with a 10 shot lead just seems absolutely stupid. I hate it. I don't even, I, I have it, which sucks too. It gives me no interest to want to watch it on a good golf course, East Lake. Yeah. Because, uh, because somebody could, you know, who, who's got, uh, as a can- uh, Scotty Shuffler's in first, right? So yeah. he's ten under. He could he could have a four over day and still be you know two shots. Yeah, and off and, the lead or... and they, I think what do they say almost every year one of those guys that are very close to the top ends up winning, which is, I guess they're, they're you know they're rewarding them for for being the best all year long, which I get it. But to me, if if I was in charge of this thing, yeah, reach out to me, PGA Tour, if you're looking to get rid of Jay. Uh, commissioner you know, Mike, new commissioner, new, com- Mike. New, new commissioner. I would do um, something where you can get it to match play. Get it down to 32 or 64. You're the number one seed. You've, you've played all year. You know, is this. And, and you could pay them. You could pay, you know. The pros are going to say, well, you know, you can, anything can happen in match play. Yeah, anything can happen in match play. That's why we like watching it. And you could yeah. pay them, you know, you could pay a two, kind of a two-tiered paying. You could pay them a certain amount of money for the whole season thing, you know, because you, yeah, you earned it. You made your number one. And then you could pay out some more money for the match play. And I, and have like a two-week window, you know, where, you know, because obviously you can't do it like a Thursday through a, I mean, you could, I guess, but those guys wouldn't want to do that. Well, and stretch it out a little bit and play it play matches like those are fun to watch like the wgc at austin country club is great to watch I don't... you could even have something where you know top something earn a buy even you know the first you know that if you're top whatever seed yeah something. you don't play the first round like that gives you more incentive you get money then um, for being farther along than somebody who exactly. lost. exactly yeah. so i don't know so i don't know it's just it's just I, I don't think i don't think the handicap scoring is the answer I, i'm not sitting here saying that i i know exactly what to do but i'm going to tell you right now like I'm just not going to be interested to watch 
um, this tournament because it's not, I have no idea who's actually playing well, who who isn't playing well because of where they're starting, and it's just not interesting to me. So well, I think was it two thousand eight? Was it eighteen when Tiger won it? That's still they're still playing straight up at that point, correct? Yeah, they've only been doing this for a couple of years, but there might so, be okay. there might be more money coming on the tour. Rumors and rumors. Tiger and yes. Rory were talking about this like. Uh, I didn't, I didn't read up on it too much. This tour within the, within the tour, certain events for like, like one day events or, or two day events, you know, for like the top, top 60 players. Um, and that with a big purse and that would involve um, what, I, what I was hearing is the tour would have to inc- basically restructure everything they do. Not, they would have to get away from the nonprofit, you know, all of that and be like, a privately run um, you know, like the NFL or something with all the different commit, you know, owners, whatever, whatever, something like that. And be like a privately run league with investors and big, you know, more money coming in um, to pull it off. So then now you're going to have, then you have the money to pay um, these, the superstars. Plus you can have the normal schedule for the you know, lesser known players to, to earn their way through. Um, but but that was the rumor. Yeah, um, yeah, there that would be interesting. I, I do know that you know there's a rumor out there that seven new guys after the you know FedEx Cup season's over are gonna move over to live. It'd be interesting to see, you know, are have they signed their contracts yet? Are, are they, some of them gonna back out knowing that some of this stuff is coming? Is it gonna be enough to entice people to just stay and, and you know, knowing that you, you don't get world golf rankings going to live? I mean there's got to be some enticing things that you might want to hang around even for another year to see what the PGA Tour does to on their end, knowing that you can still play in majors, you can still play in all these events, still still make a lot of money, even though, you know, they live, people are making a ton of upfront money, but definitely something to, um, um, that'll be interesting to see how it pans out, so. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see how it goes here, but uh, there's something in the works, and Tiger's involved, so Tiger has a lot of weight on these issues. Well, in other news in golf, the President Cup rosters, not fully full rosters, but the President Cup rosters, the you know, the backbone of the team, the ones that earned it through their their rankings have come out. Uh the USA has six guys and the internationals has eight. Um the USA captained by Davis Love. Here are the six that have officially been um named to the team. Sam Burns, Patrick Cantley, Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, and JT. So those are your six. Uh, that also five, gives some variability of who he wants to pick too. Five of those in pretty good form. I, we haven't heard much from Sam Burns lately. Yeah, I would say those are those six are pretty pretty tough to beat. And then and then you get six more. Um, and we'll talk more about the the picks as we get you know that as that comes closer. I'm sure we'll debate that and who sh- who they should pick and whatnot. But uh, that's a great core, if you ask me. Yeah, pretty um, solid. You know, just looking at them, there's there's. The only thing that they don't really have that that uh, you, you'd like to say, you know, they don't have, you know, big state, a ton of major wins. You know, Sam Burns doesn't have one. Cantley doesn't have one. Fino doesn't have one. Xander does, has the Olympics. Scotty has one. Masters, correct? Yep. JT has two. So, um, I but, mean, they don't have, they don't have a ton of, of big game experience, but they've all been playing pretty well. Good for them. Yeah. And in match play, they have decent records. Like Finau, the year the year they lost in France, was it? Finau was like three and one. He was good, and Scheffler was good last was good at uh, whistling. So they got some guys that are, you know that could play match play. Um, and then the international squad, captained by Trevor Immelman, 
Uh, it's got Corey Connors, Sun J.M., Tom Kim, Hideki, Joaquin Neiman, Mito Pereira, Adam Scott, and Cam Smith. So those Smith. are eight of them. Cam Smith's he, still on the list. He's still on the list. I did see a tweet from Emmelman. He did say, because somebody asked what happens if, if Cameron Smith you know, bolts to live. He said he'll just get another pick. So, I mean, looking at that roster of eight guys, again, I mean, if some good players, I mean, I guess in terms of match play, like we, we've talked about in match play, anybody could really beat anybody. I mean, the, the, the mean of, of talent gets definitely narrowed, you know, over a, a, of just an 18-hole match play event where it's not, you know, a 72-hole stroke play. Um, but if history has said anything, I don't, you know, it's probably going to be another butt weapon. Yeah. Tough golf course. Quill Hall. I mean, you take Cam Smith out of there. He's kind of a bulldog kind of yeah, guy, you know, like in match play, uh, you take him out, you know, I don't know, but there, I, I like the one picture I saw that they look like their logo and everything. Their outfits look like the, I don't know, the, uh, the dark side of the force on, uh, star Wars or something. But, but how about Adam Scott? This is his 10th president's cup. He will be playing in. That's pretty crazy. That's impressive. Yeah. Scotty, that swing has been timeless. Well, I don't I even know. Like, let's say that he does bolt. I mean, is, is next on the list, is it like Leishman? I mean, I'm trying to think of any, anybody that out there, um, you know, South South African. I don't, all those guys went live. Well, the rumor was, is that Leishman, Scott, and Cam Smith were all going to go. Okay. All three Australians. Um. Yeah, I don't even know. I haven't even looked at it. Their, hard their roster is going to get pretty thin if if they end up not. Uh, you know, I mean, not, that's a pretty decent eight. But once you start picking from that, and, they, and a couple of them, you know, if Adam Scott goes or Smith goes, then you're starting to get into territory where it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, not not very entertaining. No, I, I know. It, I, doesn't, I, it, it doesn't really have luster, anyways. I mean, President's Cup ha- hasn't really had a lot of juice. No. I yeah I don't I don't I don't really it's it's I don't watch it nearly as close to the Ryder Cup um I know I listened to Trevor Immelman once this it was within the last month and he said you know they asked him that same question about the live guys he said we're gonna get guys who want to be here who want to play and yeah we know we're the underdogs in that situation for sure but we're gonna get guys that are fighters and they want and this matters to them so I don't know We'll see what happens. Good golf course, fun to watch. Quill Hollow. Yeah, and if you're if you are a guy that ends up making you know is on this Presidents Cup team, what better way to get your name and brand out there by taking down one of the big dogs, right? Like yeah. put your name on the map a little bit, you know, and and uh, go go beat somebody. So, well, we'll probably update that as we get more news on you know once we get into picks and if some of these guys bolt or not. Um, we've got our uh, you know before we kind of wrap up here, we're just going to quickly debrief on our uh kind of our trip plans that we've got we got that we have coming up and then uh mike's going to talk about the, the interview with rob collins so we are actually going to play dakota ridge uh, it's a minnesota course down south in morton minnesota it's a casino course love it um as mike and i've talked about great course other than 17 and 18 kind of don't fit the course but yeah, um we get to really play with that much wind it doesn't seem like it's be very windy so it'll be interesting how low we can go yeah, I mean it's wide open. I mean you can let you can let it rip in a lot of holes out there. It's got tough par threes though. But yeah. um 
Yeah, I love Dakota Ridge. Other than those two holes, I mean, they're not, they're not it's not like they're terrible, terrible golf holes. They just have some trees and they're wooded, which doesn't really fit the rest of kind of the field. But uh, great course, always in good shape. Every time I've been there, looking forward to that one. Yep, and then we're gonna keep moving west, head out to Grand Falls. I have no idea what this, other than it's another casino course. Tim's spot. Um, Tim's spot. Okay, Tim's Tim's favorite spot there. I think you can hit it anywhere, which which favors Tim. He um, uh, play there, and then. He, I think it's uh, what did he say? Is it a Reese Jones or is it a Robert? It's a Reese Jones or something. I don't know. I haven't looked into it much, but uh, Tim claims it's good. I don't know. It's, it's wide open, so you can bomb away. We'll see if Tim wants to play another match. But if he does, he'll have multiple matches going all over the place. But he is a generational right. ball striker, so you I know. Can't wait um, uh, I, I'm just hoping they have a hot. We have a hot tub there and a little casino action. Get, sure. is, sports betting is legal. Oh, yes. Yes, sports perfect. Betting, sports betting will be legal there. Maybe we have to put a couple Masters bets down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and then we, then we head on Tuesday out to Landmand, and, you know, getting to play this course, and, and like, Mike's going to talk a little bit about the interview with Rob Collins. Um, I don't know. It looks sweet. It's very open. It's, uh, you know, there's no trees on it. You know, it's one tree. Bunkery, unique bunkering. Um I don't know. What did you what did you gather from the interview with Rob Collins before we, we end up tonight? Um, so yeah, so let me do a little intro for Rob here. If you if for a, some people might not know what Sweetens Cove is. Uh it's a golf course in southern kind of uh Tennessee. Kind of I, I was I think Chattanooga is like the closest major city, maybe. Um, but it's become like a nine hole cult kind of classic place, an epic nine hole like the best nine hole golf course maybe in the world. I don't know. But, um, and Rob is part of King Collins, him and another guy are the design group that, that, um, did Sweetens Cove and Sweetens Cove was originally a different golf course, Wasatch Valley or something. But he said, he said it was like, it's the flat piece of land, you know, and they turned it into this epic, uh, nine hole, uh, place where what he says in the interview, like, they do like this lottery in the spring for, for ticket passes to play it for the summer and stuff. And it's sold out in like five minutes, you know, so everybody wants to go there. It's a really, it's a really sweet place. I have not, not been there, um, but he's going to go into Landman, And, and from what, you know, if, if you've seen pictures on Instagram or the internet or read about it in magazines, um, Rob said it's, you know, it's one of the most epic landscapes you will see. So, I think it sits on the Missouri River somewhere way up high. Uh, there's a bunch of holes where you can see a lot of the golf course. It's got it's got the template holes. It's got a Redan, and it's got a punch bowl, I think. And it's got his version of the Sitwell Green on 17 that is uh, like 37,000 square feet. Uh, so it's going to be awesome. And, yeah, great interview. Um, for sure to listen here at the end. Um they're, you know, now, of course, with Sweetens, they've gotten pretty popular. So they got some other projects coming up, Red Feather and some other ones. So, uh, but yeah, uh, good, good interview. I, I can't wait to see this golf course. I'm only disappointed that there's been two hole-in-ones there already. So <laughs> my epic quest for a hole-in-one, can't, I can't be the first one if I get one at Landman. Well, I wish you the best of luck. If you already played eight, you're playing like par three, 18 holers. That should have been your opportunity down south in Arizona to, to get one. Uh, didn't even come close on two, <laughs> on two, uh, on two 18 hole 
par three courses didn't even come close. Zach almost made one on the uh, at Desert Mountain Seven from like two twenty. Really? Yeah, right, right by it. Um, nothing. Yeah. Well, we're gonna bring you as much content as we can. We're gonna we're gonna you know get our phones out there and take a bunch of pictures and probably you know do some interviewing with each other just to see what uh, what everybody else thinks. But um, give us a follow this week. Uh, you know, enjoy this interview with Rob and. Um, we hope to come back next week and, and share with everything that we uh, found out about it and uh, all the ins and outs of traveling there as well. Um, so, yeah, enjoy. Or we might strike at Rich at the Casino and we'd never have a podcast again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe. All right. We have Rob Collins from King Collins Golf here. Uh, awesome guest for us to have as we're about to go to Landman. Uh, for those of you that are Sweetens Coves fans, he is the the man behind the cult, or part of the part two man crew here behind the cult classic. <laughs> uh, welcome to the podcast, Rob. Hey, great to be on. Thanks so much for having me. We are excited to have you. So, uh, for people who don't know about your background in King Collins Golf and Sweetens Cove, can you kind of give us a little bit of the the story about how how your golf journey started? Yeah, I mean, basically, the Reader's uh, Digest version is is. Uh, I went out on my own uh, with my partner, Tad King, uh, after, well, basically during the recession. And we kind of said, if we can get one one course in the ground, um, you know, that'd be be really awesome. And we got hired to, to do this nine-hole golf course in rural Tennessee. And um, through a very long-winded and strange set of circumstances, I became the owner-operator, which was most certainly not the plan going in. And <laughs> Um, after a lot of struggling, we managed to get the thing off the ground and, um, it's, it's become successful, thank God. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, sort of become a a fruit bearing tree in a sense for King Collins. You know, everything we get, uh, essentially is a result of the success of Sweetens Cove, certainly Landman is a result of that. And that's why Will Anderson called us and, um, you know, we've kind of built built our business from there. So uh, everything comes out of that little nine hole golf course in Tennessee for us. What did that uh, that initial jump look like? Because I believe you were you were landscape architecture prior to. Well, I, I went. Um, I got a degree in landscape architecture with the intention of of being a golf course architect. It was uh, a graduate degree uh, that I got to kind of help me springboard my way into a a career that's quite difficult to crack into. And I just thought that that would be my best Avenue for doing that. And so um, I worked for Gary player for a little bit after I got out of graduate school. And then, um, and then, you know, during the recession, uh, you know, nobody had any work and and I didn't have a job with player anymore. So I kind of had to fill my time with a few kind of random landscape architecture jobs, which was, you know, not my, my passion or long-term interests. And, uh, you know, fortunately had this, this opportunity fall into our lap and this course eventually became Sweet and Scope. So I'm a, I'm a big Mike Strantz fan and oh some my. of your bunk- <laughs> Yep. Some of your bunkering, uh, very familiar to someone that's a Strantz fan, big, bold. Um, but he talks about pulling some of his inspiration from some of his mentorship was, was there anything that you did with player that might have your fingerprints on it that we might recognize? I don't know if any of the physical creations with player would um, be something that, that, that you might notice, but I, I think that, um, you know, my position with player was a, I was an on-site um, architect. The 
the kind of the, the design coordinator. And basically it was my job to implement the, the vision of the, the senior designer. And so, um, you know, we, you know, I really began to understand the construction process and that job and, um, and, and understand how design and construction kind of meld together. And, and that was a really key thing um, for for me personally and, and, um, with my partner, Tad King, that, that, you know, he, he came from a construction background that kind of helped, mm-hmm. you know, forge our, our vision as a design build business. Do you go, do you have any classic architects that you are, that you look to, you know, the McDonald's, the Rainers, the, is there any, any personal favorites in there? You know, I think, I, I think McKenzie's my, my personal favorite, um, uh, I love his writing and, and the boldness and uniqueness of his vision. And, um, you know, the, the classic architects had a, a certain uh, non-risk-averse <laughs> nature about them. They, they weren't afraid to, to, to take, a, take a chance here and there. And, um, but, but things were grounded in, in, in the fundamentals of, of what they loved, which was, you know, the great golf courses of Great Britain and Ireland. And, um, but, but they applied those lessons in, in very unique ways and they weren't afraid to take risks. And, and McKenzie certainly, um, you know, did that throughout his career. And, um, you know, th- there was a boldness and an artistry and sort of a, a unique flair that a lot of them had. And, um, you know, we try to try to incorporate a lot of that and have a little bit of that fearlessness in our work. So for the list, for the, you know, a lot, I don't know if a lot of people from Minnesota here have been to Sweetens Cove. I know Tim or I have, we know a few people that have, can you give us, that was, there was a golf course there and you guys kind of took over this. Uh, I mean, it had been, I guess I don't know, lack of a better term, not well kept up, correct, for a while. And you guys took it over and made it into this uh, piece of art, this nine-hole piece of art. Yeah, that's basically uh, 100% correct. It was a uh, basically an abandoned old nine-hole country golf course uh, in a dead flat floodplain in, in Tennessee. And uh, we were basically given carte blanche by our, our client to – to remake it and, and, and turn it into this, um, you know, really unique vision that became Sweeten's Cove. Awesome. I, I was gonna. I, I don't know if, if this is the right question or what, but has, did Bandon Dunes kind of change the game into a, can golf courses kind of be out in remote spots now? I don't know if Bandon was the first one to do it, but it seems like a lot of these projects, you know, Landman and some of the like Sand Valleys and Wisconsin are, are kind of out in a little more remote spots. I don't know if Bandon was kind of the first to show that that was doable because Sweetens Cove is kind of a tough, isn't the easiest place to get to either, right? No, that, that's right. And, and um, you know, I think the very first one uh, in, in the modern era in America is Sand Hills. Uh, oh, yeah. And- in Western Nebraska. And, uh, Mike Kaiser was actually one of the original members there. And, um, I know that philosophically, you know, fundamentally had a big impact on him in, in creating the Bandon Dunes resort. And then the success of that certainly has sprung forth a lot of, um, like-minded t- type developments. Um, you know, you have Streamsong, now Sand Valley, 
Um, I know the Kaisers have, have a lot of other plans. Um, and, and, you know, Sweetens Cove is unique in that, in that, um, you know, Mike Kaiser has a sort of a famous quote that 18 holes is a curiosity and 36 holes is a destination. And um, I think there's, definitely some truth in that but um you know sweetens cove became an international golf destination on the back of nine holes and no no internal plumbing and no clubhouse and no food and beverage so um as with everything in life there's exceptions to the rule so uh you know <laughs> i think the lesson with sweetens and, and and these other places is if you build something exceptional and build something interesting people are going to seek it out. Well, let's, uh, let's take a dive into a little bit of what, what's going on right now. So uh, we've talked a lot about Sweetens. We're here eventually going to talk about Landman in a little bit greater detail. Uh, but NS and, and Red Feather, um, you were actually mentioned on the podcast right before this because the tour was in Memphis about Overton Park. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it looks like a decent amount of both in city in metro courses and then places that are tending to be more destination what draws you to a piece of property right now because it's looking like you're going to be able to get more and more selective of the jobs that you get we're definitely um able to get more and more selective um you know there's no question about that i mean at this point in time we're interviewing um, our clients i think as as much as as they're interviewing us um which is, is a good place to be in we want to find people who are like-minded and, um, you know, have a singular goal of of creating something exceptional. Um, And we like to, the way our business model works is we essentially partner with our clients uh, and and we, we want to work with them. And, um, and that, that's kind of how we do things, but, you know, the Memphis project at Overton park was one that was kind of near and dear to my heart. My wife went to Rhodes college in Memphis. And um, so, and I was very close with uh, the guy who headed that up and that made a lot of sense for us. Um, Red feather was a great one. We hit it off immediately with JJ and Brad, uh, kind of the two main guys headed up there. JJ, of course, being the uh, former tour pro, uh, West Texas driving range pro, if you're on social media. And Brad Rostin, just a, a great guy who loves golf and wanted to do something really special in Lubbock. And then, of course, Will Anderson in, in, uh, in Nebraska. So, um, you know, that one just kind of fell in our lap and, you know, we really, hit, we really hit it off with Will from the get-go, and that just was kind of a match made in heaven. I mean, should we transition, Mike? Are you, are you ready to talk about these amazing pens at uh, Old Dane? Because I hope that, oh, yeah. I hope that those the, are uh, the, the, air, the airplane uh, flags, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, we are he- we are headed to land, man. And I, well, we all are. We are like the landscape that you guys, uh, well, had and created, I suppose, looks epic, looks amazing. Epic's a really good word for it. It's um, there's nothing quite like it uh, anywhere in the United States. I mean, I, I, you know, some of your listeners might, you know, have a little bit of an eye roll with with a statement like that that sounds sort of hyperbolic, but um, it really is. I mean, I, we've had a lot of people out there who've seen a lot of golf courses, and there really isn't anything quite like it. It's um, this wide open landscape with these really bold, dramatic rolling hills going through it. 
and you can see forever and it's up high. Um, one of the nicknames for the course is up top. It's that's on my hat right here. Um, and the scale of the property has a way of dwarfing these gigantic features that we built. So for instance, you'll standing on the fifth tee is a 240 yard par three with a 25,000 square foot green. And, you know, from a distance, the green just does not look that big. And then you get up and you see it and you just cannot believe how big the screen is. It, the land is so massive and the views are so big that, that these features that we built have a tendency to get dwarfed until you're in them. And it, it has a very strange effect on the mind. It's, you're saying it's, that Iowa is not that bad. Well, Nebraska. <laughs> Tim, Tim's, from, Tim's, from Iowa, Tim's from Iowa. So we give him a yeah. lot of time about the wide open uh, areas of Iowa, Nebraska and some of that. Yeah. In, in talking about epicness um, and because everything's become such a destination golf uh, kind of, kind of Mecca, right? Everyone's seeking out these, these kind of sand pits, these areas with um, interesting geography. How do you find those? Was this a job that approached yourself or are you, are you, able to partner with other groups that maybe even search and seek out large sand valleys and pits across the U.S. with interesting topography? How does, how does something so interesting come up? Well, Will actually uh, reached out to us through the contact form on our website. Um, that's how he made contact with us. Um, so we, we came out there about two weeks after that initial contact and, and hit it off. And about a month later, he had hired us. So um, he had been through you know, a few interviews with a few other architects and things just hadn't really stuck. There wasn't, wasn't a lot of chemistry with some of the other people he talked to. And um, it just so happened that we hit it off. And um, so that was a, you know, a unique contact that he, he made made to us. Uh, one of his good friends, a guy named CJ, they were playing golf one day and he said, hey, you ought to call the guys who did Sweden's Cove. And Will was like, oh, okay. And so <laughs> that, that's how that's that wild. happened. Each that's one awesome. is different. Each one's different. Does that look like um, something scratched on a napkin for a hole that you had in mind? I know online it said it looks like one in 18 came to mind right away, or is that a, a personality thing with you and the owner? No, one in 18 uh, came to mind right away. Um, you know, unlike the famous sand hills that, that Core Crenshaw did, um, which was on nine or 10,000 acres, and they didn't necessarily have a defined starting or ending point um and they have that famous um if you've ever been to sand hills they have a thing called the satellite or uh the constellation map sorry we would love to go to sand hills i'm yeah. glad that you're dropping us in for a, an invite yeah. i heard you can write a letter i heard you can write a letter and get on maybe <laughs> yeah yeah you know so they have a, try it we'll try it one day 125 or 130 different holes that they identified and they kind of whittled it down to the best 18 and um you know landman wasn't like that it's a 600 acre property basically 580 acres which is a big piece of property um but we knew where we wanted to start and finish from the get-go it just made the most sense and so that right there helped a lot with figuring out how to get going and then um, Tad and I came out and we, we routed the golf course and actually didn't take us that long to route it at all. And, um, and then the big challenge was the amount of earth moving it took to, to make it work. It was, a it was a site that while incredibly beautiful and stunning, 
um, in a place where you could have a great golf course in its original natural state, it was not, you know, playable for golf like like the Sand Hills was. And so um, our goal was to move just the right amount of dirt necessary to uh, make the golf course playable, walkable, engaging, strategic, et cetera, um, but, but blend back into the natural environment so that once all the native grasses and so forth were grown in that, you know, you'd look at it and you wouldn't realize how much had been done to, to make it work. So I, I read somewhere, some article that somebody had written, did you design it with a little bit of a match play kind of, uh, idea or feel to it? Well, um, basically, I mean, match play is, I think, the superior form of golf. And that's certainly how uh-huh. my um, man. Thank yeah, you. Certainly how Sweetens Cove was designed. And, and we we work to design a lot of half par holes and, um, you know, create situations where there can be kind of wild swings of fortune. And, you know, I think Landman is, is certainly that way. I mean, it has a an incredible finishing flourish. Um you know, kind of from 14 to 18, that's a pretty amazing match play finish. Um, you know, you've got uh, the, the 14th, which is this unbelievable Redan, and a par five at 15, tough par four, 16, and then 17 and 18 are these great gambling holes, a 300-yard uh, drivable downwind hole with the big sitwell green, and then 18 is a a reachable par five with a, a very, very dramatic second shot. If you get a good, good drive. So um, you kind of got to always be making decisions and creates a lot of interesting scenarios for a match play situation. The Sitwell green on 17 has got a lot of attention on the internet. I think. Yes, um, it has. Can you, can Mike, you explain? You wanna, can you I was explain? Say, you might want to go into depth about what the Sitwell green means. Where oh, it was. Well, it's an old McKenzie uh, green, right? From Sitwell park, I think. That's Right, yeah, Sitwell Park in England had a, a famous green um, that uh, McKenzie designed that had was basically built into a hill, and there's a famous picture. If, if your listeners want to Google it, Google Sitwell Park, Alistair McKenzie, and look at the images, and you'll see uh, the this famous black and white photo of seven or eight people standing on this green, and that gives you a sense of the cascading nature of the green and how steep it was from, from front to back. And there's these little pockets here and there. And it's kind of been a white whale and in golf course architecture circles, you know, there's been a few architects who've kind of built uh, somewhat of an homage to it, but um, we really wanted to go all out at, at, um, at Landman and um, Will was on board for it. And, in the modern day, in order to do something like that, it needs to be, you know, a true sit well that, that has that same sort of jaw-dropping nature um, with with a very, very big amount of elevation change. It needs to be a, a really big green. It's about a 35,000 square foot green. I think it's the largest single green in North America. And um, there's just a, I mean, there's probably from the false front on the front of the green all the way to the flash in the back, there's probably 20 feet of fall. Um, But there's two gigantic decks that are, I mean, there's probably, you know, 18,000 square feet of pinnable area on the green that is 
more or less flat. You know, it doesn't have a ton of movement. So, you know, if you get in the right spot, you've got a chance, but if you don't, you're going to, you might have some trouble. Um, but it's just a, it's a really fascinating hole with a lot of different ways to attack it. And, um, it's, so if, uh, I like it anywhere. If you could put a Sunday pin anywhere on that green. Um, the absolute hardest pin is probably tucked right behind the bunkers on the left on the upper shelf. Um, but a really good Sunday pin would be upper shelf back, back against the back of the green where you can, a perfect drive will, will get you an Eagle putt, but one that's kind of leaks off to the right. is going to give you, give you quite a bit of trouble. Uh, so. I like a good drivable, I like a good drivable par four. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially, on, especially on 17. I mean, you can, yeah, you, know, you could, there, the, somebody is going to have a two, three finish at Landman. Somebody's going to go eagle eagle to finish that. that nice. Well. Timmy, did you hear that? That's going to be me. Um, <laughs> so I guess we don't want to take up too much of your time. My, my last question about Lemon is when you're designing a golf course in that location, how, how big of a factor is wind, you know, like direction. Cause I'm thinking of like, I've played the old course in St. Andrews. <laughs> And I, and I know earlier this year on on our open preview when I was kind of going through the holes and everything, what to look for, I had, I had to keep saying, well, this is wind dependent because that's the genius of St. Andrews is this bunker that you don't even think is in play one day is completely in play with a wind change. And I, I have to assume it gets pretty windy in eastern Nebraska, too. So does that play a role when you're designing the golf course? Oh, it plays a huge role. Um, it gets incredibly windy there. Um and there's a pretty strong prevailing wind most of the windy days um, where 17 and 18 would be downwind. Um, but to answer your question, yes. I mean, one of our main goals um, on this environment was to create a golf course that, you know, it was very important for it to be playable, obviously. Um, and once you see the severity of the environment when you're out there, you'll, you, you think about that and, um, can get a sense of how much work went into making a playable golf course. And part of that goal in, in, in reaching that playability was in building features and in, in fairways that were big enough to accommodate the, the severity of that wind. And, um, you know, part of that ties into to the, the, the gigantic nature of, of the, of the site. Um, like I was talking about earlier where, uh, the features shrink in, in, in your mind, a, a hundred yard wide fairway at Landman a lot of times will look like it's 60 yards wide because it shrinks. That's just what it looks like. And so if you actually built a bunch of 60 or 80 yard wide fairways there, which most of our fairways are a hundred yards wide. Um, if you built say a 60 yard wide fairway in that wind, the golf course would just for most people wouldn't be playable if it was windy. And so we had to build really big features and really, um, really wide fairways to, to maintain that playability. That was a big part of it. And then of course, um, you know, we are really big on variety, uh, with our work and, um, you know, our par threes, par fours, par fives, a lot of them play in different directions, different lengths, so that you're not just getting hammered with the same shot over and over and over. And so 
you know, that helps with, with keeping the golf course fresh from, from day to day is having different directions and different, different lengths of holes too. So that was very much thought about in, in how, you know, in, in relation to the wind. Well, so, uh, you got a couple question, last, maybe my last question. Well, a follow-up question after this as well. How are you with a tennis racket and can you catch a football? <laughs> um, I haven't played tennis in a long time, but I was half decent in high school. But um, I've I've hit a few tennis balls recently, and uh, it was it's a little bit like riding a bike, you know. Um, it. I'd say yeah. you've got some you've got some tough playing company because uh, looking at what happened at Sweden, you've got some you've got some new investors. Roddick better at tennis than me and Peyton Manning's definitely better at football. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's quite a, that's an awesome story though. And quite a deal for Sweden's goal. Yeah. Yeah. I know Peyton would have thrown a few more touchdown passes if he'd had me to throw to though. I've got great <laughs> so can you so, talk a little bit about the ownership group there? Um, and with that, with that new backing, with your, your success, I mean, you've definitely got some accolades. You've got two courses finishing up. I just saw that, almost all the soddings done over at red feather yeah um where you go next um well you know as far as the ownership group goes you know we um it's kind of a dream come true uh, amazing scenario uh partnered with uh, a guy named mark rivers and his partner skip bronson and they brought in uh tom nolan great great friend of mine really well connected in the golf golf industry um Andy Roddick and Peyton Manning came on board. Drew Holcomb, uh, a performer out of Nashville, great guy, big supporter of golf, um, is, is, is on board. And, and there's a, a, a group of 40 other people who are, who are all part of this. And there's, there's some big names that are part of that as well, including Jim Nance. And um, so Sweden's kind of has this, this halo effect of these, you know, really um, tremendous people in, in, in golf around it. And that's really helped, helped it springboard um so that that's been that's been awesome we got to get down there tim i yeah, i was like yeah. it's so crazy because you guys have like lot it's like lotteries and stuff now to get tea times isn't it yeah, yeah it's, it's, a it's pretty it's pretty insane we um we do a thing that's basically like a, a lift ticket we only let 40 people out at a time and it's an all-day pass um and so you it's it's you know a little bit higher price point I mean, it's 150 bucks for all day so it's not it's a it's a really good deal yeah. but oh yeah you know you're rather than just selling a $65 tea time or whatever, we're, we're saying, look, spend a little more money. We'll have less people here. You'll have a, a longer all day experience, kind of an immersive experience. That's the way Sweetens is, is meant to be experienced anyway. And we sold all of our passes this year um, from April 1st to October 31st um, in like five minutes. It was, yeah, we know. it crashed. We're, 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 we're working <laughs> we were, on that. We, we were we we, come up with a new system for for the next pass drop because, you know, we we from the ownership side we went through all the hoops and hurdles and checked with our website engineer and everything to make sure everything was going to be fine and it it wasn't fine. <laughs> it was, um, so we've got a we might end up having to do a lottery system or something like that. But um, it, it's really uh, thrilling to see, you know, the demand for it and that people you know, want these kind of immersive experiential golf adventures, basically. That's kind of where golf is going right now. 
Yeah, looks awesome. Well, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. I think no, we are great we are excited. We are excited for Lamb, and I think it's awesome for Minnesota to have another great golf course within driving range from well absolutely i'm thrilled to to be on and i appreciate you guys reaching out and i would uh, just say to your your listeners up there in minnesota um hey please drive four hours and go see this place i promise you you will not you will not regret it it's there's nothing come on down i I make a a trip down there every two weeks you can carpool (laughs) with me and we'll play it again let's do it all right thanks Thanks again. We appreciate it. Hey, Rob, thank you so much. Guys, appreciate it. Maybe today's the day I break 80. Want the ball to draw, but it keeps on fading. No OB and no bogeys. I gotta keep it on the 80. It's the gold. Would you hit it on one? Straight up the gut, baby. Now I got a wedge on my short game cravings. Little bit of edge on the sport makes gravy. So punch out the rough and tune to break 80. Break 80. Break 80. Break 80. Break 80.